Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Commercializing the space industry isn't as far away as it seems. The push for better bandwidth and GPS systems on a global scale means thousands of satellites needed in the air. And for that to happen, space electronics companies have to find innovative ways to deliver not only quality, but quantity. Here to talk to us about space electronics, the way they've evolved, and where they're headed in the future are Dan Sable and John Hodak, CEO and president of VPT Incorporated. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Just fine, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both for coming on. I'm excited to dive into this evolution. I know your company has been involved in space electronics since the beginning, which I know you're celebrating your 25-year anniversary here soon, which is very exciting. Um, So tell me a little bit about that evolution. Since you got into the industry, where were space electronics 25 years ago, and how have they evolved? Okay, so I'll back up a little bit. So uh, our initial products were geared mostly for military and commercial aerospace applications although we always had in mind that we would apply them to space applications as well. Uh, Typically, the qualifications necessary to go from military to space is is a big step. The space folks are very conservative and and highly dependent on reliable product, uh, as well as several other requirements. So uh, we always had in mind that the products would transition from the military commercial airspace to the space. In order to do that, you need to demonstrate that the products can be made radiation-hardened, because in space, you have a lot of different radiation effects. Uh, The other thing is a lot of the space customers demand uh, more reliable components and piece parts, uh, things like that. So you have to be able to demonstrate through both analysis, design, and testing that uh, your products are reliable enough to go on critical space missions. Uh, Daniel, uh, one interesting thing about the industry and the way the products have changed, uh, in particular, with the space market is uh, it's a market that does not change very quickly. So uh, for a large portion of our products, the same product that we sold 20 years ago, we are still selling today. If we look 15 or 20 years ahead, many of those products we will still sell in, in roughly the same format that they are today. So we're in an industry that doesn't change quickly. uh, So about 80% of our products have not substantially changed over the last uh, 15 years. That's really interesting because I feel like in most other sectors, technology evolves at sort of this breakneck speed. Why do you feel like space electronics remain pretty constant? Well, I'll be a bit of a comedian uh, with this one. It's difficult to get a repairman uh, <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so I think that once something has heritage uh, with spaceflight heritage and it's worked and it's been proven for many years, there is an enormous inertia and an unwillingness to change. Definitely. I have to agree with the, with the one caveat that recently there has been quite a bit of a push to try to lower the cost of space electronics, you know, but uh, very often that, you know, is uh, not congruent with, you know, having something proven and reliable. Yeah, for sure. So now sort of looking at where this sort of space electronic technology is going, what kind of trends have you noticed over the past few years? I know you said things haven't changed much, but there have to have been some changes. Are, are you seeing people trying to maybe make these electronics more cost effective, um, trying to put them out at a higher rate? Let me, let me answer that because uh, I've seen a couple of different trends over the years. It's almost like sometimes a pendulum that goes back and forth. Sometimes the pendulum will swing towards, hey, let's get things faster, better, cheaper. Then all of a sudden, there may be some failures up in space, which has happened. And now the pendulum will swing the other way up. We don't care. 
about cheaper. We need just need to make it more reliable, but then it becomes more expensive. You know, so I've seen that pendulum swing back and forth several times over the years. I'll say right now it seems to be swinging much more towards let's get things to be cheaper. But it also depends somewhat on the application because you have applications, for example, like OneWeb or SpaceX, who want to put up thousands of satellites. For those kind of applications, you know, the pendulum has swung towards, hey, this needs to be much less expensive than in the past because we can afford, we can't afford the prices. Versus for, let's say, extremely critical national security satellites, which are very expensive, their reliability is king. So, I mean, and cost might not be as much of a factor. So for an industry that does not change in the last two years, the industry has probably changed more than it has in the last 20. And as Dan uh, mentioned, that is being driven primarily by the introduction of companies that are looking to put up thousands of satellites with a relatively short life, three to five years. Traditionally, VPT has supplied uh, satellite applications that are designed for 15, 20 year applications. So when we talk, and those constellations tend to be in the 20, 30, 40 type satellite constellations. So when, when we start to talk about a thousand satellites, 2000 satellites, and a mission life of three to five years. So that means every day or two, uh, we're sending up another satellite. Uh, so if you run the numbers on that, the, the size, the cost, the performance of those all have to change dramatically. And the industry is, uh, is trying to catch up with that, frankly. Uh, the price points and the performance requirements uh, sometimes do not uh, coincide with each other. And so that's, uh, that's a very big change in our industry. Why do you think things are shifting in that direction? I know you, the pendulum continuously swings back and forth, but why is there such a push now for there to be thousands and thousands of satellites up in orbit that have a shorter lifespan? Why not build out satellites that stay up in space longer? Yeah, I, I think it's the, the internet is really pushing that global communications, the push to have internet globally anywhere in the world. One of the things that's been realized with the short life is if you think about your phone every year, you get a new phone because the electronics, the, the, the phone you got this year is twice as fast as the phone you got last year and so forth. This applies to all electronics. So why put up a satellite that's going to stay there 20 years if the electronics are going to be obsolete in two years? Right. That's fair. So while the technology for space electronics doesn't change much, it definitely has to adapt to all the other tech that continues to evolve at a really, really fast speed then. Uh, that's correct. Also, um, SpaceX, all, all the small companies that are looking for rocket launches, uh, again, it's to support these multi-thousand constellation of satellites. And again, it's being driven by cost. So for a company like yourself now that is supplying these electronics, with this push for shorter lifespans and thousands of more satellites, how is that affecting your business? Is that increasing profit? Is it harder to turn a profit that way? How is it affecting the industry of space electronics? Well, in some ways, it's, it's much more difficult because a lot of those companies still want you know, good reliability, good radiation performance and stuff like that, but they want much lower price. So it's kind of like they still want a lot of the performance, but they want lower price. So it's become a real big challenge for us as well as other companies in the, in, who provide space electronics. 
So how about just being profitable in general? How have you as a company tried to find ways to become profitable in space electronics? Whereas, you know, I feel like the whole trend for space exploration in the last 25 years has sort of been on a decline. Um, so I know there's still applications for satellites and, and other things that go into orbit. Um, how do you aim to be profitable as a business that is involved in space electronics? Well, I'll say one of our most profitable businesses has been support in support of the GPS program. GPS is a very critical program for the United States. The U.S. Air Force maintains about 30 satellites in orbit that you know, support all sorts of commercial and military applications. And those satellites have to be replenished every, uh, basically they have to launch on average about three a year in order to keep the constellation active. So we've been very active in the GPS program for about 15 years now. And we've have, we have several programs like that. Bouncing off more towards some of the technology that goes into your space electronics, with this push for shorter lifespans, but having to deal with you know, higher capacities of internet, um, bigger bandwidth, and sort of this higher efficiency and being able to pump them out faster. How has technology changed to adapt to that? Um, are, are you seeing anything that is helping satellites and rockets that go into orbit be more efficient and deal with sort of the harshness of, of space a little better? So uh, one of the big trends that we've seen uh, to help address that is the use of commercial and automotive grade parts in satellite applications, in particular satellite applications with short mission duration and low Earth orbit. So what we have a radiation test facility at VPT where we actually take these commercial components and screen those automotive grade components and determine their tolerance to radiation environments. By buying these, buying lots of commercial automotive grade components and determining which of those products have the most tolerance in a radiation environment, we can construct a cost-effective solution for our customers, which we call COTS modules. Okay, wonderful. So dive a little more into the technology that makes that possible. Automotive parts are very reliable. Just think about how often, um, hopefully when you turn your car on, it starts most of the time. But if you look at the number of cars on the road, and the reliability of, of current automobiles, is, it's really amazing. And you think about the environment that they're in, very hot environments, very cold environments, very abusive environments, if you have children in minivans, but the electronics and so forth continue to work in those applications. We take those parts, which again, they are automotive grade parts. So they are, uh, we'll call them somewhat high rail parts, but they have not been tested or screened for a harsh space environment or a radiation environment. We take lots of those parts. We have our own Cobalt 60 sources at VPT RAD, which is a subsidiary of VPT. And we uh, take those components, expose them to large doses of radiation and measure how much radiation they can sustain and still perform. Once we've identified those parts, we can place those parts in our DC converters at a fraction of the price of a space qualified part that we can we can buy from a third party vendor, which is a guaranteed for a for a long life performance. So by doing this, we can mix and match these automotive grade parts along with conventional space grade parts, 
and come up with a solution that can meet the performance and size and efficiency and radiation tolerance requirements uh, that our customers are demanding for these applications. So this is something that would not have been thought of 10 years ago, but it's a new way of thinking today to, to service these multi-thousand constellation satellites. Again, it's the only way to reach the price and performance targets that our, our customers are demanding. So uh, we really have to rethink the way we approach a design. We can't start with a space grade power converter and, and try to take that and dumb it down, if you will. We have to start with the lowest level converter and test and prove by analysis that those components will work in a space environment. So now looking more at the industry as a whole, I feel like the idea of space exploration is starting to ramp back up, especially with some of these rockets that SpaceX is putting out that are very reusable and really, really sturdy. And people are starting to get excited about the fact that maybe we'll start sending astronauts into space more consistently, explore parts of space that you know maybe we hadn't thought of exploring in a while because lack of funding, all that kind of stuff. How do you see electronics like yours maybe helping power that second revitalization of space exploration. I'll back up a little bit on that and say we've actually been on some a number of very uh, critical uh, deep space missions. For example, we've been to the planets Mercury, Venus, Mars, Pluto on various space missions. It's uh, something that we're very proud of. We've also been to the moon. NASA especially has very, very different requirements if you're going to put people in, in space. That said, I mean, there are several unmanned missions that are being planned and uh, that we are supporting, uh, both domestically and internationally. We sell quite a bit of our space electronics, uh, power electronics internationally as well. Uh, everybody wants to get into, onto the bandwagon of sending a, a scientific satellite or various places. So it's a, it's a very nice business. So looking into the future a little bit, what do you see coming for space electronics and for space exploration in general. How do you think there's still room to grow and how do you think things are still going to change and where does your company fit into that? We have to support both ends of the business. The, the high end, high reliability, high radiation, you know, high cost part of the business as well as the lower cost. And that's really the challenge for us is to try to be able to support both ends of that business in a profitable manner. You know, we've been very good at supporting the, the higher end part of the business. The lower cost end of the business is in some ways much more challenging for us. And that's what we're, we've been spending a lot of time and effort uh, looking at uh, some new technology, some, some new, new components, uh, you know, automotive grade stuff, as John had mentioned, and, and, and things like that. So we want to continue to support both sides of, the, of that space business. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast and giving us some some insight on how space electronics have changed or really how they haven't, um, but how they're adapting too to a lot of this breakneck technology and uh, some of the exciting stuff that's around the corner. So yeah, I want to thank you, Dan and John, for coming on the podcast. Thank, thank you, you, Daniel. Glad to be here. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to the latest articles, podcasts, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.